This episode is sponsored by Visit Frisco. All work and no play, not in Sports City, USA. Frisco might be known for its sports, but it's our array of out-of-left-field, totally unique attractions that really make our city a home run. So step up to the plate and have a ball in your own backyard with these suggested ways to play. The counterplay. Here, the ultimate play starts at the checkout counter and continues with over 9 million square feet of shopping your way. The play-action pass, a fun day out that's also educational. At Kidzania, there are more ways than one to have a ball. Frisco, the city that plays. Welcome to Hustle and Pro. This episode starts season number three of Hustle and Pro. I've had the pleasure of talking to so many inspirational athletes and coaches and fans and broadcasters over the last few years. I'm very lucky to be able to host this podcast. And so when I was um, excited that my season three was starting, I thought, okay, how do we celebrate season three, number three, number three? And I was brainstorming and all I could think about was number threes like Babe Ruth. And so to talk about that for this episode, I invited our friend Chris Mykoski on to join us. So thanks for coming on with us, Chris. Yeah, and congratulations. I have not been able to stick with many things in my life for three years. <laughs> so for you to be able to do this is uh, pretty remarkable. Thanks. Uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's been a great run and obviously a ton of great guests. I'm honored that you'd have me on for this anniversary show. Yeah, well, we did a countdown last time you were on. And so I thought, okay, this isn't really a countdown of famous number threes or anything, but because I had Babe Ruth on my mind, I'm thinking, all right, who can talk to me about, you know, I don't know, baseball players and different things. And with your, you're a professional broadcaster. So obviously you can talk sports, but you also have such a personal background in baseball with your family ties to the Rangers. So I thought, okay, I know that I know the guy. So that's why, uh, that's why I invited you and I appreciate you joining me. So I keep mentioning Babe Ruth. I think it's because as I was a kid, when I started playing softball, for some reason, maybe that was the number that was available. I don't know. Maybe that was just because my dad told me Babe Ruth, but it just kind of never, it always stuck with me. It it never left me that that was his number. And so, you know, you start noticing other numbers as you're a player and over the years. And so, um, I thought it you would were be number fun. three all growing was, up then. I was a little number three. Yeah. I mean, it changes as you get older and sometimes you don't get to pick that number, but it just stuck with me. I guess it was kind of my first one. And Jack, our son, he just recently um, switched double A baseball teams and had to pick a number. And so it's kind of funny as you talk through different numbers, you, you try to like kind of coach your kids, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. But what about this number? Right. And, and then it's like, well, when you're the new kid on the team, nothing's available anyway. So you get what you get, but it's just kind of fun thinking about what your mind goes to when you think of different Jersey numbers. So, so yeah, when I was little, I always picked number 22 if I had the opportunity to choose because my next door neighbor was kind of this larger than life figure in my life because he was um, on the high school baseball team and you idolized him. He actually made time for us to play catch with us as little kids. So I wanted to be just like him. So wore number 22, like Chad McDonald. 22. That's a good one. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about some number threes. I keep talking about Babe Ruth. So if you don't mind, let's jump off there because I was, I was looking for some ideas today. I kind of went down the Babe Ruth rabbit hole anyways, um, because I wanted to write down some things and 
it opened up a lot of interesting things as I was looking at other number threes. So not just Babe Ruth, but my second baseball number three, and I don't know, baseball just kind of kept topping my list, but um, Ken Griffey Jr., right, was was another number three. And there were so many parallels in their career. Obviously, as a person off the field, not the same type of people so much. Um, but when you're talking about player kind of historically and some things that they were able to accomplish, I was surprised to learn that there were some similarities between those two number threes. But um, first of all, is is he one of the top number threes that you think of when you think of that? Oh, of course. And, yeah. you know, the Yankees were one of the first teams to actually have jersey numbers, period. So he wasn't just a most one of the most memorable number threes. He was one of the first, first. in baseball oh, cool. that they decided that you need to have a way for fans to be able to tell who the players are from afar. And uh, they came up with jersey numbers, which, uh, you know, for the Yankees, it was just the order that they were in, in for batting. So Babe Ruth batting number three, that's what he was. War, no other, you know, significance behind it. Yeah. Other than that, that pure, you know, batting order. Right. Whatever. But yeah, that just what a, I'm just a mythical character. And, you know, it's, it's amazing that it really took until recently with Otani to have somebody who could do both pitching and batting at an elite level. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there were others who could have, if they tried, but you know, guys get pigeonholed. It's like, no, if you want to be a pitcher, you really can't worry about the batting stuff and vice versa. And now we've got uh, a guy who I, you know, I wish the Rangers would have opened their wallets a little bit more to bring him this way. Just, I don't like the angels at all, but how can you not love Otani? Yeah. And it's a shame that that that's kind of the way it goes with saying, don't, you know, focus on pitching and don't, don't focus on hitting because, you know, there's room to focus on both and be top notch at both positions. But yeah, so Babe Ruth was, when he wasn't pitching, he was an outfielder, right field, left field, and um, just kind of everywhere out there. And he had a 22 season or year uh, career, 1914 to 1935, 714 home runs. Um, 342 batting average. And this number uh, rings true because we just finished watching the Super Bowl. Uh, Seven World Series championships. And all powered by hot dogs and beer. No steroids (laughs) in this system. (laughs) Yeah. And and you looked like it too, right? It's so funny when you think of physiques like that, because nowadays when you have somebody like Luca coming back for the season (laughs) and he's got a few soft pounds on him, he gets kills for that in the media, right? And it's really sad that, first of all, it's sad that anybody gets talked about for just having a few extra pounds of, of maybe even a few extra pounds of fat or something on their body. But um, but man, can you imagine back then what people would have said if they had the ability to, to spread that kind of chatter on social media? It's the old John Cruck quote that uh, I'm reminded of right now. Somebody was getting on to him about going out and for a few drinks, uh, you know, after a game and whatnot. It's like, you should be keeping your body in tip top shape. You have a, you have a game tomorrow. I was like, lady, I'm not an athlete. I'm a baseball player. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Things, things have changed over the years too. Um, so you mentioned the Yankees. So Babe Ruth was born in Pigtown, Baltimore area of Maryland. Mm-hmm. And he, um, we always think of him as a Yankee, but he started with as a Red Sox. player, um, moved on to the Yankees. And he's, is he really what the 86 year drought kind of stemmed from when he moved? Right. I'd have to, uh, go back and look at the exact story, but basically 
the Red Sox sold him mm -hmm. to the Yankees because of a failed theater production, if I'm not mistaken. They, the owner know. needed the money for another venture uh, and thus sell, sell off your best player to your rival. And yeah, the, the curse of the Bambino was born. Yep. 86 years later. Man, I didn't know. Yeah, I hadn't heard about the theater part, but man, imagine that nowadays. Uh, an owner needing money for something else and then and then that's starting for your franchise. Um, so another couple things that I noted about him, he wasn't a healthy man, right? We, we, we talked about what he, what he looked like, carried all that extra weight. I think it was 1948 that he actually ended up dying and it was cancer that he died from, which I never really realized that. I, I had yeah. heard so many different stories, um, you know, unfavorable things off the field about him, of course, but I never really realized what actually was ending his life was cancer. And then I also read that, in 2018, Trump awarded him um, the Medal of Freedom. Did you know that? I didn't. Yeah. No. I didn't either. I mean, I trust Wikipedia sometimes too much, so <laughs> that could have been written in there. But, um, you know, how presidents can name pretty much anybody cultural, alive or dead. Yeah, yeah. And it can just be any cultural significance. It doesn't have, there hadn't had to be many reasons, but, um, but yeah, I thought that was interesting that after all those years, uh, Babe Ruth's still getting some shout outs. So, so here, here's now your, the homework, uh, is to go find a video of the play. No, no Nanette, because that is what the Red Sox owner, um, he sold his contract to the Yankees for one hundred and twenty-five thousand okay. dollars before uh, the nineteen twenty season, and uh, used that money to finance the production of that musical. Hope it was worth it, right? <laughs> Doubt it. One hundred twenty-five thousand for no, What's no. What's that Nanette? in today's money? Sheesh, I don't know. <laughs> no, no, Nanette. Like no, 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 no. World Series is is kind of what that there really equated to. Oh, can only imagine the frustration as a fan. Okay, I mentioned Ken Griffey Jr. So uh -huh. growing up, I always like admired the consistency and you know the play of Ken Griffey Jr. So what I learned was he also had a 22 year career. So wow. um, yeah, 89 to 2010, he had 630 home runs with a 284 batting average. He was also an outfielder and a DH. He was born in. Denora, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, in Pennsylvania. It's funny how the more modern players, you start looking at their stats, it's all, you know, golden gloves and all-star, 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 MVP, MVP. And when, you, when you're looking at the older players like Babe Ruth, it's just none of those things existed yet. So the stats change and these laundry lists of um, accolades get longer. And it's kind of hard to know how much some of them mean, right? But um, I'm trying to see, like, did Ken Griffey Jr. win... I don't know if he won any World Series. I don't think he did. No, no. And that was one of the things that I always admired him for is that he stuck with the same team for so long. Yeah. You know, obviously, with Seattle, he could have gone on to a bigger market mm -hmm. and uh, made a lot more money probably. But Seattle was loyal to him and he was loyal to them. Yeah. And it wasn't until really late in his career, if I'm remembering right, that he moved to Cincinnati. Cincinnati. And, you know, I think that was partly because the Mariners kind of were in a rebuilding phase and they really didn't necessarily need him around anymore. There was also a family tie there with his dad being a former Red and kind of a, a big deal to him to return to the place where he spent so much of his childhood. 
That is neat. I mean, it. yeah, I think of him, he's a mariner, right? But right. It, it is cool that he did get to make that tie. So and he I got guess, to be in the same batting order as his dad in, oh, Se- cool. with, in Seattle for a while. Yeah, They're, they actually, if I'd have to go back and find the footage, but I'm pretty sure I've seen this within the last couple of years that junior and senior hit back-to-back home runs in one game. Well, I knew that they, you know, made history being father and son duos to play and I can't remember a certain amount of games and I, I don't know all the details, but I didn't see that. So back-to-back home runs, you say? I think so. I think wow. they were in the order one after the other. That's amazing. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, to be able to have that opportunity to play with your dad and to do that. Yeah, 1990 in a game, they hit okay. uh, back-to-back homers. But okay, yeah. The only, the only time that this could potentially, not, not obviously this exact same thing, but something similar with a father and son being able to play on the same team, mm-hmm. that could happen in a few years with LeBron James mm-hmm. and his son. Yeah, if he, if he holds out long enough, yeah. Right. Yeah. You, he, the longevity he has had is very similar to what Ken Griffey Sr. had in the game and be able to hold out that long and be in the lineup with your son. That's uh, it's I'm not a, the biggest LeBron fan in the world, but even I'm going to think, wow, how cool is that? So cool. Yeah. To just to get, first of all, like take a step back, just to have a second generation of your family be a professional athlete. We're, we're kind of numb to that, I guess, in some of these scenarios, but that in itself is a really hard thing to do. Right. Right. And then, yeah, to make it time out to where you're both in the leagues at the same time. And then when you think about the Griffey Jr. scenario, for you to both be still good enough where you're active and and then hitting home runs so that's awesome i didn't know that yeah there you know the family the family business it's it's i think of it kind of like me where you i just couldn't walk in and become a doctor you know (laughs) there had been a lot of work to actually stay in the family business and it ended at my generation my grandfather was a doctor my dad was a doctor and unfortunately it ended here but in the same thing with the Griffies and now the James family that all the work that they put in to actually be able to stay in the same industry as their dad yeah it's incredible um so I'm I always liked King Griffey Jr and I, I probably was too young to really know much about him and why but part of it is you just never heard you just never heard a lot of negative chatter mm-hmm. and press um, about him. And so I thought it was interesting that it was when it was his time for Hall of Fame votes, he holds the record for the most votes. So he got 99.32% of yeses. That was that was finally overtaken oh, by, was Mariano, it? by Mariano Rivera. Oh, Rivera, I didn't know that. The first 100% vote. Okay, so him. yeah. So when was that? Re- like uh, he he should have been inducted this uh, this past summer, and it'll it was it'll be uh, delayed until this summer. So okay. he's class of twenty twenty officially, but they won't actually do the induction ceremony until twenty twenty one. So he got a full hundred percent of the votes. Yeah. Wow, that says a lot. Well, it's the it's ridiculous that a lot of people, including Griffey, did not get a hundred percent before. Yeah. There there are sports writers who vote for this who just decided at some point nobody deserves to be 100 percent which is wasn't 100 percent willie mays wasn't 100 percent so how can anybody be 100 percent you know you can't find any logical argument behind it other than that it's never been done before so it should never happen and finally that mindset was put to the side like who can really say 
that Rivera doesn't deserve to be a Hall of Famer. And unfortunately, that argument didn't uh, hold up when Griffey's vote came along. Somebody, and and I'm sure we can find it, but (laughs) somebody among the voters for Griffey said, nah, I'm not going to vote for him. Let's let's hold out. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Like it's a strange principle to stand by to say, even though I know this guy should be in, I'm going to vote the other way just so on paper it's not perfect. Exactly. That's weird. Well, I'm glad that somebody kind of broke the streak. I mean, because if right. a player deserves it, they deserve it. Doesn't that's kind of a strange thing to well, it's hold just, on it's to? It's the old guard of those really those long time sports writers. Yeah. Do you ever get a vote in thing. in anything like that? I voted for I vote for the top twenty five in the FCS. Did for a long time. Mm-hmm. Individual awards locally, I vote for the Landry Award, which is uh, you know for the top high school football player in DFW. Uh, but on a national stage, other than the top twenty five vote, not yet. So to vote for that Landry Award, are you year round paying attention close enough to where you feel really um, firm in it, or do you get some synopsises and just kind of go with some cheat sheets? I mean, I'm following pretty closely, um, not just the games that I'm covering mm-hmm. for CW33, really the whole high school landscape. But yeah, I, I definitely at the end in previous years when I actually worked um, and our high school package used to be on Channel 21, which is all part of the same station group with CBS 11. So then I was a little bit more intimately involved. Uh, now that it's moved over to CW33, I'm just a plain voter. And yeah, I'll definitely get some feedback on the finalists and make sure I know everything there is to know because the Landry Award is not just an on-the-field award. It's a character award, too, because of the tie-in to the Landry family. They want yeah. to make sure that it's the right young man representing them. And so you can't just look at the stats. And see, that's why I could see how that 100% you know, when we go back to like big Hall of Fame votes mm-hmm. could could stand because if you're looking from the lens of off the field and character also, it might not be a no-brainer for everybody. You know, True. I mean, there's enough to where somebody could say, you know, we see that a lot, a lot now. What you did off the field, but damaged Griffey, there's enough. No excuse, there's yeah, no excuse right. for that with him. Right, exactly. There, there, he doesn't seem to have any, I mean, I'm sure he's got skeletons in the closet like anybody else. Sure. He's not He's not a perfect person, but between him and and the guy who finally did get the 100% Rivera, two guys who, at least in the, in the public perception, mm-hmm. are pretty well flawless. <laughs> right, right. All right, then let's switch gears to uh, the other baseball number three I had on my list. Okay. <laughs> A-Rod. Oh boy! I knew we were going to talk about him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a lot here. I don't. I don't want to talk about him a lot. But it, it's funny. I think I like A Rod more, way more now after baseball than during baseball. He's he growing has, on he's me. He's rehabilitated his image. Yeah. Between whether it's him or strictly him listening to people who have given him great advice, mm-hmm. he seems really past his playing career. He's made all the right moves to be somebody who people love now. And if you didn't know him as a player, especially if you didn't cover him as a player like I did, I can completely see why you would love the guy. I mean, there's what he does now. He's fun. He is great on television. You can't deny that. Mm -hmm. He knows the game like nobody else. And, you know, he's going around dancing on TikTok with his his kids and J-Lo's kids. And, you know, they're having a great time. But you go back... I can't separate the two. I mean, when I was covering the Rangers and he was in the line, he was in the locker room. There were very few people who were bigger jerks than that guy. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I, I would, I was a young reporter at the time, very, very green. And, you know, if he had a good game, I'd be in the back of the pack and lucky to get a single question in. So if he wasn't the biggest star of the game, I would take it upon myself to approach him. It's like, I've got to get some one-on-one time with him and build a relationship. Yeah. And that's how, you know, as much, the advice was given to me by so many people that to be a good reporter, you have to foster relationships mm-hmm. with these athletes. So I was like, all right, in these times where maybe I can get some one-on-one time, I'm going to approach him. Sure. I try, I probably tried it four or five times. And each time it was either a look or a strict, not today. Not even happening. And I mean, just the absolute dirtiest look, like don't even think Like how dare you even here. try to do your job right now? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Which is so, unfortunate, but, and I know you can't separate the two. I wouldn't be able to either if I had the personal interactions with him like that, but I mean, it's fair to to understand how he had he has a second career now. You know, mm-hmm. like his playing career was one thing, and it's almost like he took on that persona of of being the jerk in the locker room and not the, kind of the untouchable. To I think he must have chosen when he switched gears in his post baseball playing career. He he chose or he became a different. He let the softer person come out and and maybe that was just something that had to happen as a player. You know, he just didn't want to be, he had the hard shell and he didn't want to change. Maybe, but in, in the, but you combine that with the fact that he was taking steroids, he was cheating. I, not too long ago, I I watched this documentary on Netflix, uh, screwball Mm -hmm. and it's all about the biogenesis scandal, uh, which a rod was a big part of. And the way he threw people under the bus, the uh, everything he did to try to avoid any accountability, mm-hmm. you know, the, it wasn't just with media members. It wasn't just with teammates. It was really with everybody in his world that if you're not 1000% with me, uh, I don't have a use for you. Yeah. And burn the bridges as I go. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Well, he's managed to kind of slightly turn turn it around in a lot of people's eyes so i guess oh, that's, a, that's a good thing yeah so I, I'll, I'll only note this then about him that um mm-hmm. he has his batting average was 295 and he he does have world series championship behind him but only i was thinking it was more and is it right that it was only the one year 2009 uh if that's what it says i guess so i mean when he went from the rangers to the yankees he certainly had the opportunity to win one more than win more than one but if it ended up only being that one then uh wikipedia never lies well it does so i could be wrong <laughs> but that's that's what i noted so i don't know maybe that's kind of good i mean i'm sure postseason was off the charts but yeah there might just yeah. be a little bit of actual world series you know winning one so um I've, I've got a few rangers with the war number three that okay. i definitely put on a higher pedestal yeah. than than a rod who you got um billy ripkin for one and he's not you know obviously was nowhere close to the star of his brother but really fun cool guy played with the rangers mid-90s and actually spent a lot of his childhood in Arlington. So it was really neat when he came back. Um, his dad, Cal Sr., was a coach with a minor league team that was in Arlington before the Rangers came. So mm-hmm. he was a kid running around in the clubhouse. My, my grandfather treated him for all kinds of random things in his family practice, you know, okay. as a little kid. So that's one. Uh, and then a couple other Rangers that wore number three that I loved. 
uh, Mark McLemore, uh-huh. who, you know, like A-Rod, is also a TV personality now, but on a regional level. But he was just as fun and smiley of a guy back when he was a player as he is now on television. And, you know, the doctor of defense and just so such a fantastic uh, player back then. We only had him in Arlington for four or five years. But, um, you know, he he decided ultimately that this was going to be his long term home. Mm-hmm. And he is, uh, you know, one of the faces of the Rangers on on Fox Sports Southwest now. And then now um, coming back to the ball club this season after one year away is Delano DeShields mm-hmm. wearing wearing that number three. We don't know yet if he's going to really find his stride and really turn into that elite player that we thought he was going to be when he first right. got to the team. But, you know, so, a lot of flashes of brilliance. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I like him. Few years, yeah. I like him because he's just at that um, that time frame that we got to see him come up through the minors here in Frisco, and mm-hmm. um, he was on the on the other teams that were coming through here. But still, we got to see the name, and he was memorable. We see a lot of guys come through here, but we remembered him. And so when he was um, a ranger, it was it was really fun. I hated to see him go, as I always do. Some of our favorites, so yeah, it's got exciting. him back though for this year. Exciting so, to have uh, him back. Yeah, round his, round two with the Rangers. Yeah, but I'm also following him online and things. I just I don't know. I've grown to to like just some of the things he likes to talk about and stand for, and and I, I kind of dug his blue hair in the outfield. <laughs> it's kind of fun. Any any other Rangers to note? Uh, a couple others, but they weren't really as prominent for me. Um, Harold Baines, I mean, that was part of the worst trade in baseball, really not talking so much about him, but the fact that the Rangers gave up Sammy Sosa to get Harold Baines here. Um, and then I don't really count him so much as three because you think of him as 25, but it was Rafi, Rafi Palmero wore three for a very brief period before Harold Baines came in, if okay. I'm not mistaken, and then gave the number up to the veteran. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, sometimes these numbers do change. And, you know, what we remember them for was maybe not even their original number. Well, yeah. And, so, and sometimes, you know, these guys who really attached to a number will give up a significant amount of money to get that number from a new teammate. Like, if I don't know if that happened, it might have just been strictly Rafi saying, you know, you've been in the league for a decade. This is yours. I'm just, you know, a young guy. But a lot of times you'll see a guy comes like, I really, really, I'm really attached to that number. Yeah. Either I'll give what's you $25,000 or, yeah, or, you know, what's your favorite charity? I will donate okay. X number of dollars to your favorite charity if you'll give me that number. That's cool. Yeah. I always wonder those conversations when, when guys are coming on to a team and, you know, it's got to be awkward, but at the same time, it could be so important to that player that like, that's part of their identity, their brand, what have you, that they're going to make a stink about it and get that number. <laughs> could be a deal breaker in some situations. Too. Sure. Like yeah. a guy like Chris Paul, if he's CP3, if he went to another team where there was yeah. another another number three, you can't imagine him wearing a different number. And that's the perfect segue. Actually, um, there's a lot of basketball number threes, um, but I think of, so the, the three that I actually wrote down was was him and Allen Iverson and D-Wade. Those were, those were kind of my basketball number threes. And then I only... I, the only football number three that like I automatically think of is Russell Wilson. Just yeah. he's another likable guy that that's just my first thought when I think of football number threes that I go to. Yeah, I look I look down the all time roster for the Mavericks, and there is nobody memorable that wore that number. And what's yeah. funny is 
you know, the team was established in 1980. Nobody wore number three until 1997. Oh, wow. I thought that was very strange. You would think yeah. a lot, you think guys who came on would want the single digit. But it wasn't until Jamie Watson in 1997, a journeyman from South Carolina who only played 10 games for the Mavericks. He was the first one to everywhere, everywhere number three. And then know you've him. got, you know, just a <laughs> journeyman who kind of came through past him, you know, like Charlie Bell, Shane Larkin, Nerlens Noel. Trey Burke has it now. And, you know, when your name when your name is Trey three, you have yeah. to have number three. Yeah. But I covered him when he was in the uh, regionals at AT&T Stadium with Michigan and, you know, lighting up the college basketball world. So I was really excited to see him get here. You know, who knows? He's been knocking around the NBA for seven, eight years now. So whether or not he actually turns into something big remains to be seen. Maybe he will end up being the most prominent number three in Mavericks history. Maybe so. Sounds like they could use one, right? <laughs> Sounds like there's room. Yeah, that is shocking. It took, what, 17 years? Is that what you said? Yeah. To get a, like, there, there wasn't like a point guard or somebody who was wearing it that wanted it. That's interesting. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And you and you, you, you drifted into football also. And again, looked at the all-time roster. The Cowboys, it's a lot of kickers. Yeah. <laughs> so not a ton of memorable names there. Right. Uh, Mark Sanchez wore it for his one season in Dallas. Um, and then Steve Walsh. So a couple of backup quarterbacks. And, you know, when I was a kid, Steve Walsh, I just remember why in the world do you need you? They had Troy Aikman and they go and draft Steve Walsh in the supplemental draft. And that did create a little bit of a stink, I think, because it was Jimmy Johnson's guy at Miami and drafting him in the supplementary draft. So you, are you actually going to challenge Troy right. Aikman here? Right. <laughs> and, but that, you know. yeah, but that's, that's a good kid thinking, but now we've seen so many <laughs> examples of why you got to have a, yes. a solid backup back there because it, I, I don't know if it's just me. Cause I'm an, a mom and I'm old and I see so many injuries and I'm stressed about it, but it just feels like we have so many more quarterback injuries that do create, second string opportunities now i'm sure they always happen but like i said it's my perspective but yeah you got to have those you got to have those backups ready huh absolutely even with troy aikman and with the ball you still (laughs) gotta have a backup plan Mm -hmm. well thank you okay so that's most of my list i'm sure are there any other big ones you want to get out there before we wrap up well for the stars craig ludwig Mm. and you know he was part of my and really the whole area's introduction to hockey. I was a fan of the Fort Worth Fire back in the day. I lived in Arlington at the time. So started to get into hockey then, but then the stars arrive and you really start to understand what big time hockey is about. Yeah. And Craig, Craig Ludwig was a huge part of that. And he was the number three when they first arrived into town. Okay. I didn't realize and, that. And then I've got uh, a couple others that threes in sports that I think are, are huge. One of them, this is not the big one, but ESPN3, the streaming network from mm-hmm. the worldwide leader in sports, opened up so many more opportunities to see teams. Yeah. When it was limited just to the ESPN television networks, it was such a small scope of ball games that you could watch. When ESPN3 came on in 2010, now you've got pretty much every Division One conference available to watch. And a lot of that has drifted over to ESPN Plus now. But it's important to those exposure, those schools, those athletes that would have never been able to be seen on TV, right? Or streamed. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
it, it was huge. But maybe the biggest number three on my list, the three-point shot. Yes. I had to do some, some research on this one. Okay. It was introduced in the ABA in 1967 as they were trying to find things that would differentiate themselves and make it more exciting than the NBA. Okay. So they add, add this shot behind this line and you can get one more point for this. And at first, apparently coaches really didn't know what to do with it. They just yeah. were using it in desperation. Um, in If they were down big at the end of a ball game, but I found one game that actually happened here. In Dallas, the old ABA Chaparrales, and this was November of 1967. This is the team that eventually became the San Antonio Spurs, but we okay. had them. We had them in Dallas at first, and this is the first season of three-point shots is a thing, so nobody's really used to it yet. So the Pacers mm-hmm. are losing 118 to 116 with one second left, and the Pacers have to go the length of the floor to get two to tie, or as they didn't think about, get three to win. But there's only one second. So from 92 feet away, Jerry Harkness from the Pacers throws up the desperation heave, and it goes in. And everybody thinks, we're tied. We're going to overtime. And the referee's like, no, there's this new rule, this three-point shot. Pacers win. That's (laughs) crazy. That's awesome. Yeah, they just they weren't used to it now. They weren't exactly factoring that into the 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 play, <laughs> even just like play calling and like inbounds strategy and, and everything. And, and I had I went back and looked at the stats, the most recent basketball games that I did broadcasts for. And the last women's game I did, there were 43 point attempts. 40? The last the last men's game I did, there were 47. Wow. So that's just in college basketball, especially now, they're just oh, yeah. it up. All the time. It's such and, a huge factor now. And, and that's what, 40, 50 years old? Incredible. That's, yeah, that is incredible. I didn't know how old it was. How old so the, the NBA, was. the NBA and the ABA merged in 1976. And the NBA at first did not use the three-point line. They're just like, you know, there's some innovations that the ABA made that maybe we'll embrace, but this is not one of them. This is not real basketball. We're going to yeah. keep it pure mm-hmm. and Shots are only worth two points. But three years later, <laughs> it was the rookie year for Larry Bird and Magic Johnson in 1979 that they introduced the three-point shot into uh, the NBA. And obviously, Larry Bird made it a huge part of his game. And proved uh, and that then, it is more exciting. Right. It is worth it. <laughs> that one point matters a lot more. And it's fun when you get to see you guys take those long shots. And it wasn't until 1986 that the NCAA added hmm. the three-point shot. 86. Yeah. Huh. Well, that's good stuff. I didn't know yeah. that. And, another, and I, one thing I thought of too, that it kind of, it needs to go on my bucket list now of things to do as a sports fan. I have never thrown my hat onto the rink for a hat trick for three goals. For a hockey game, you haven't. I haven't either. I'm too cheap to throw out like a good hat. Me too. I, good hat I, I need to just bring along an old one that I'm about to throw out right. anyway, just yeah. in case. Or if it's like, if it's a big game and it's like, it is a moment, then it's worth it to throw a good hat on the <laughs> on the rink. But yeah, I haven't either. I don't know if I've ever been to a game where a hat trick has happened. I don't go to enough hockey games, but, and I don't sit close enough to, to do that. But yeah, that's a good bucket list item. Get to a game, get good enough seats where you can toss it on the rink and uh, have your favorite players score a hat trick. 
Good stuff. Well, awesome. See, Chris, I knew you would have some good tidbits to share with us in our audience. So thanks. Thanks for celebrating uh, the number three season of Hustle and Pro with us. And I'll have you on again and we'll think of another, another fun thing to talk about. Absolutely, Kelly. Thank you for having me.